Good morning. How are we doing this fine St. Patrick's Day? You know why it's a fine St. Patrick's Day? It's my birthday. Forty-five years young. Denise was trying to give me a few extra years when she said, it's not every day you go from 51 to 52. I knew she was teasing me, but I just couldn't not respond, so. All right, we are continuing our series in John. We'll be looking at chapter 6 today, the hidden music of John's gospel. As we're getting in uh, to our text this morning, I just wanted to share a couple pictures with you. If you remember a little while back, I said, you know, let's do some special things with our, our giving, and we added more seats to our auditorium, we wrote blessings for people, uh, we helped uh, that orphanage that I helped found in Tanzania, and then we also had people bring lanterns in. And it's just a little representation up on my wall in my office that we together collectively have been called by Christ to be a light to the world. And so it was very interesting, all the different kinds of lanterns that people brought my way. Uh, Some were handmade. Uh, Roger Dale helped with that. Some had some special significance. Some were probably just sitting somewhere and were brought in, whatever. Some people went and purchased some. So it's quite an eclectic mix. And there's something beautiful about that, I think. So... It was fun to have uh, Roy help me get those up, and then Cindy was our spotting eye, and she helped get the creative mix up on the wall. So it kind of came together, so if you'd like to come by and see it sometime, or if your family has not given me a lantern, I'll take one still. So We'll begin in verse 16. We have a lot of text to cover this morning. There's, and it's so dense. It's, it's so much wonderful material here. So in some ways, I'm having to skim the surface a little bit, and then I'll make a few points that I think are especially helpful for us. Verse 16 and 17, when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. So the disciples to make their w- decide to make their way across the lake for whatever reason they leave without Jesus. So keep in mind John's symbolic use of language such as darkness and light, such as day and night. They are in the dark and they are without Jesus. And so we know something bad is about to take place. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were terrified. I don't know if any of you have ever seen the Sea of Galilee. I was blessed to be able to go and see that, and it's surrounded by big hills all the way around, and sometimes the wind coming off of these hills can really stir that little lake up. And uh, so three, three and a half miles is a good distance, probably getting out toward the middle of the lake. I think at its widest, it's like eight miles wide, and it's about 13 miles long, the Sea of Galilee. So you can see the, the shores all the way around from everywhere you're at. 
but uh, it would get kind of choppy sometimes uh, when those winds pick up off of those hills. So the disciples are fighting against these choppy waters and the strong winds. They're in the dark. They're in a precarious situation. But what they see next really terrifies them. It's a man or something doing the impossible, walking on water towards them. Jesus doesn't leave them in doubt, but he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Let me take a minute to unpack what I think is a little bit of the symbolic significance of this passage. Have you ever made a bad decision? Yes, I know you have. So have I. That set you out into some kind of darkness in your life. Some kind of selfishness that you faced. Sin or evil that you've allowed to creep into your life. And because you were in that dark place, you felt isolated, you felt alone. You're being battered by the wind and the waves at night, and Jesus is not with you. You know that you are beyond easy answers or easy help from anybody. But then in that dark place, you sense another presence come to you. It's Jesus who enters into your darkest night and tells you, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's me. And it's beyond belief that Jesus, he should come find you in your isolation and your darkness. But then you have a decision to make. Are you going to invite Jesus into that dark place with you? Or are you going to struggle on against the wind and the waves and the oars? Struggle on without Jesus. Well, as soon as the disciples invite Jesus into the boat, it says their struggle's over. They immediately arrive where they're trying to get to. Now, a lot of darkness, a lot of the addictions that we face, the bad habits that we have, they're the circumstances surrounding these strongholds of darkness, there's not a quick or easy fix for a lot of us. But this text just invites us to invite Jesus into that place and to focus on Him. Because when you focus on Jesus in your dark place, He can change the situation. He can change your desires He can fix your appetites that have gone astray and have become crooked. When you put your attention on Jesus, you let go of your impossible situation. And then you begin to discover discover with your eyes fixed on Him the ways that He has the power to change things. When you say yes to Jesus and to His help, It almost always involves a choice on our part. 
clinging to him in some way, inviting him in in some way, having fellowship with him in some way, and that way is through prayer. God wants you to search for him. He wants you to look for him in your life circumstances. He wants to be found by you. More than anything, he desires to be found by you. And that doesn't mean it's always going to be easy for us in our life circumstances, but it does mean for us the incredible promise of this is that in those dark places, we will not be alone. Jesus will come to us. And if he has to do the impossible and walk on water to get to us, he will do that. Each and every person in this room has to make your own journey across the lake the Sea of Galilee, metaphorically, so to speak. We all have our lakes to cross. It's a passage of faith that we all have to make. Well, like these disciples, Jesus, who had just experienced, uh, had just experienced the miraculous multiplication of God in the feeding of the 5,000, so many of us have an experience of being cared for by the abundance of God. So he provides for the people, all of their needs, the feeding of the 5,000. And so sometimes we have a memory of the good times that were before, but now we find ourselves in the lake struggling. And we look back, and it's almost a nostalgic memory sometimes, of the way things were before everything got broken, of the way things were before my struggle on the sea in the darkness. And we think, why couldn't we just stay in that place where everything was still good, where all my needs were provided for? Why can't I just stay there? And just like Jesus slipped away from those people that he fed because they wanted to make him king after the multiplication, those people wanted Jesus to be their feel-good bread king. And just like he slipped away from them, he'll slip away from you if you approach him on your own terms to get Jesus to perform for you in the ways that you want. Jesus slips away from us because sometimes we're looking for the wrong things from him. We don't need Jesus to be our entertainer. We don't need a bread king or a sugar daddy or a Santa Claus. What we really need is a Lord a Lord of our life, a Lord that we have to choose ourselves and invite into the boat with us. Because eventually circumstances will come in our lives that will teach us humility. You'll be humbled. And we need to take ourselves off the throne of the universe and invite the Lord into his rightful place. So the next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples. But they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. Jesus had wowed these people. He had amazed them and taken care of all of their needs. He had fed them physically. He had fed them spiritually. But now he was missing. And where were his closest disciples? They're gone too. So they realize 
We need to find this guy again to let the good times keep rolling. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You were looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. John's gospel has already told us multiple times that Jesus can see into our hearts. He can read our hearts and know what is in there. And so he sees right through these guys and he understands their motives for seeking him out. And so Jesus lets them know that he knows why they are really there. And so he says this to them, don't work for the food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So we've already been introduced to the food that doesn't spoil. Uh, You remember the disciples when they came back after looking for food in the Samaritan village and Jesus, they find Jesus with the woman on the well there. And uh, they're surprised to see him there talking. And then she runs back into town and then he has this dialogue with his disciples when they try to urge him, Rabbi, take some food, get something to eat. And Jesus says to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work a food that doesn't perish, the good work that the Father gave Jesus to do. Jesus' food food was accomplishing the will of the Father, and now Jesus reveals his divinity once again in a subtle way by disclosing himself as the source of food that endures to eternal life, a food that doesn't spoil. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the work God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. It's kind of straightforward. Can maybe even seem a little simple. Believing in Jesus, do you ever think of that as work? So Jesus' food is the work of God. Now these disciples ask what their work should be, and the answer is simple enough. Believe in me. But let me just say, sometimes it is work for us to believe in the one that he sent. It's not always easy to believe in Jesus. We have to search for Him. We have to seek Him. We have to make plans. We have to study. We have to learn. It's not just random coincidences and aimless wondering that will help you believe in Jesus. It's not just what feels good emotionally or what gives me goosebumps. But let me say this, if you learn to do the work that Jesus gives you to do, whatever that work is, in this body, in your relationships in life, uh, to help this church, to help people that Jesus loves, which is everyone, 
believing in Jesus and having faith in him, when you learn to do that work, it's not going to be hard to believe. But the problem is for a lot of us is that we come to Jesus with an attitude of show me something amazing first and then perhaps we will work for you, Lord. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. Hint, hint. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Amaze us, Jesus, and we will do the work of believing in you. And by the way, we're still kind of hungry. Do you remember the daily provision of what you provided in the desert, the manna? That was a pretty good gig. You fed us yesterday, so why not feed us again today? And then maybe we'll try to make you king again. And you know what? For good measure, just to add a little pressure, Jesus, we're quoting the Bible here. Did you hear that? Did you hear us? We're quoting scripture to force your hand a little bit. And Jesus, he doesn't play ball, does he? He sees right through and he sees what's going on, the situation behind the situation. He doesn't let them and he doesn't let us dictate the kind of king that he is going to be. No one gets to tell Jesus the kind of king he needs to be. Because the only voice that Jesus listens to for his identity is the voice of the Father who he loves. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives his life to the world. Don't miss that Jesus is identifying himself as the new manna. In the hidden music of John's gospel, he is the food and the provision that God provides that enables and sustains the people of God as they go into a new exodus. A new exodus into a new promised land. And what is that promised land? It's the kingdom of heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Jesus is the provision for our journey back to God. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am. Remember that word, that phrase, I am. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but will raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will 
is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. Jesus declares Himself pretty plainly now. For all your hungers and all your thirsts, I'm your guy. Jesus also declares Himself as the power of the resurrection, which is significant. He is the one who comes and lifts our heads. Jesus. Remember how the, God says that, that Jesus, the Father was pleased to give Jesus, that Jesus has life in himself, and Jesus is pleased to pass that on to whoever he chooses to give it to. Jesus has the power of resurrection. He's the one who lifts our heads. He's the one who will pull you from the grave. But even when Jesus declares himself plainly to them, they don't believe in him. And keep in mind that these are the people that the day before had just seen him feed 5,000 from a few loaves and a couple fish. So the question for us is, how about us? How about you? Do you struggle to believe that Jesus really has the power to take care of all of your needs? I struggle with that. If you are struggling, ask God the Father to give you Jesus. Ask God's help that you can give your full heart to Jesus. And the promise of Jesus Christ to each and every one of us is that those, who, those of us who are able to commit ourselves fully to Him, His promise to us is, he will never lose us, and He will never drive us away. He's not going to misplace us somewhere. He's not going to drive us out like He drove the animals and flipped the money changers' tables. It's because more than anything else, the heart of Jesus Christ, His desire is to give Himself to you is to give himself for you. He won't lose you. He will not drive you away. And this is why I keep telling us as a church, it's so important for us to become a safe place here. Because if we are losing people and driving away people that the Father has brought to us to find Jesus Christ, we have a real problem. Our job as a church is to present Jesus Christ as real and living among us. And the way we do this is through love. It's through love. Love of Jesus and love of each other. Even still, most people, when Jesus declares himself to them, even declares himself plainly, the truth is they're going to walk away. And every person has a list of reasons why they're justified in walking away. Everyone has a reason to not be here on a Sunday morning. Everyone has a reason for what the church did to me. This so-and-so gave me the stink eye. And we all have our list of reasons. We carry these long lists. And we let that be our story. 
a reason for abandoning faith in Christ, a reason for never giving Jesus the time of day. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? They're starting with their list of excuses. They had just seen the miraculous multiplication, unprecedented miracle. But when Jesus says something difficult or challenging, all memory of that miracle just seems to be gone suddenly. That memory had faded. Instead, they start with all of their reasons and all their excuses why Jesus can't possibly be who he says he is and what he says he is. So Jesus, he pushes them a little bit further. Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one who has seen the Father, no one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. You know, there's a lot of treasure in here. And like I said, I'm not able to pull out of all of these things out, but this is an amazing verse to me. They will all be taught by God. Jesus is identifying God the Father as the one who teaches us. Teaches us what we need to know so that we can believe in and trust in Jesus. God of the Father is the one who draws our hearts to Jesus Christ, and we have to be taught by God who Jesus is before we can accept him. It's a miraculous work that is gentle and hidden away in our hearts. But if we can learn to quiet ourselves, if we can learn to be attentive to the Holy Spirit, if we can let the Word, the living Word of God, speak to us, the Father will teach us who Jesus is. And as we learn from the Father, we will learn to seek after Jesus and to trust Jesus and to learn from Jesus Himself. And Jesus will reveal the mystery of the hidden love of God the Father to us because He is the only one who has seen the Father. He alone has come from the Father. You see, God is a fellowship within Himself. God is a triune community of love within Himself. He's not three, He's one. So if you have God the Father, you also have Jesus, and you also have the Holy Spirit. Someone once said to me, you know, in Churches of Christ, we've really ignored the Holy Spirit for a long time. 
We've never talked about her. We've never thought about her. We've never sought her out. We've never built a relationship with the Holy Spirit. So I wonder, Calvin, if the Holy Spirit was ever saddened by our neglect. Yes, we have grieved the Holy Spirit, but not for the reasons that you would think. My answer to that was, well, in that situation, no. Do you want to know the delight of the Holy Spirit? You want to feel the delight of the Holy Spirit. Think about Jesus. Talk to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit will delight in revealing Jesus to you. There's no competition within God himself. So if you're not sure about God the Father, if he's hard for you to swallow, but Jesus is your guy... Okay, take that and run with it. But go deep in your love. Go deep in your trust. Build a true relationship of love with Jesus. And in the end, you will discover that you've not loved only one-third of God, but you have loved God who is one. I tell you the truth. Whoever believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, and yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Jesus knew that he was going to give his life for the redemption of humanity. He knew what this cost would be. We heard Dan describe what a crucifixion's like. He knew that the words he was speaking and the actions he was performing, that he was painting a target on his own back. He knew that he would be broken like bread is broken. So listen also to the music here in John's Gospel of the generosity of Jesus. He chooses to give himself for the life of the world. He chooses. And every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, we celebrate the generosity of Jesus the self-sacrificial giving of Jesus. And so then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How? How can this man give us his flesh to eat? How many times now already in John's Gospel have the people only understood Jesus' words in terms of just the physical? Destroy this temple, and I will build it again in three days. I tell you, unless you are born again with Nicodemus, Nicodemus doesn't understand. How can a living water? What is this? The Samaritan woman. The disciples already, I have food. What? Did someone already feed Jesus and give him food? How many times has Jesus 
not been fully understood by the people. Because Jesus was referring to the beautiful gift of himself that he longs to give. He longed to give it to these people. He longs to give it to us. But these people cannot see it and they cannot accept it. And how about us? The question is also for us. Are you so turned in and on yourself and your narcissism and your selfishness? Are you so turned in and internally focused that you cannot recognize or accept the gift that Jesus is longing to give you of his very self? So now Jesus has to go on and he keeps pushing the issue a little bit. And you may not like it. And these people didn't like it. But there is only one lifeline for humanity. Jesus says, I am God's plan for salvation. If you want life, this is it. I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. The life-giving sacrifice of Jesus is the most important food and the most important drink we will ever have. Because without it in the end, no other food that we've ever eaten and no other drink that we've ever drunk matters even a little bit. I, uh, I got to go out for my birthday last night and Dad bought me a big steak, nice filet mignon. I like steak. And uh, he enjoyed sharing it, and I enjoyed eating it. And uh, that's not the food that really matters. There's something more important that Jesus gives us to sustain us. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died. But he who feeds on this bread will live forever. Live forever. Jesus says, I live because of the Father, and now we live because of Jesus. In the wonder and the mystery and the incarnation of God, Jesus becoming flesh. God sends God in the flesh to be God for us so that we can be brought back into God. And the provision that God makes for us is in Jesus is more important than the provision that he provided for manna in the desert that only sustained the people for a time and a certain season. But if you feed on Jesus, the true bread of heaven, 
it doesn't just sustain you for a time. You will be carried into eternity. You will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept this? What of Jesus' teaching do you find hard and unacceptable? Maybe it's his church. Maybe it's his friends. Maybe it's the words that he's spoken. I find Jesus offensive sometimes because I want things my way. I want to be Lord of Calvin's life. Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit, and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you, no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. Unless God has done that hidden work in your heart, you will not accept Jesus Christ as Lord. Father, enable us as a church to love your Son. In Jesus' name. this time, many of his disciples turned back, and they no longer followed him. John 6, 6, 6. Jesus, longing to give himself to the people, is rejected by them. He, in fact, is the bread that they refuse to taste, that they refuse to swallow, that they refuse to accept. See, now in John's gospel, the springtime of Jesus' ministry is over. And in the summer heat, the roots of most of his disciples are proven shallow. How many times throughout the generations has the heart of Jesus been broken by fair-weather friends? Friends who refuse to stick with him when things get a little bit uncomfortable or when things get dry or boring. People who are looking for Jesus for some kind of fix or some kind of entertainment or to be their bread king. But the gift that Jesus, more than anything else, longs to give us is the gift of himself. And like these fair-weather disciples, at one time or another in our lives, we have all told Jesus, thanks, but no thanks. I've got this myself. I do not need this bread. I've got my own. 
Jesus asked his disciples, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter, Simon's my guy. Peter does a good job sometimes. He answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. I hear resolve in what Peter says. I also hear maybe a sense of certain defeat, like uh, in the sense of we've gone this far. It's too late to turn back now. We might as well go on and see where this ends up. And then Jesus says, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. Of all these disciples that had been a part of that miraculous feeding, 5,000 men, so how many women and children were there as well? Of that 5,000, how many remain? After Jesus says something difficult and confusing. He's down to 12. And even one of that 12 is going to betray him. And another one of the 12, this Peter, who is so powerful here, he will deny Christ. As painful as each rejection is to Jesus, Jesus has the humility to still trust that God is in control of everything. And because Jesus is humble, he accepts people back who had previously rejected him. Because more than anything else, Jesus Christ wants to give himself to you. And you may reject him for years. You may reject him for a moment. You may go through this entire life and never accept him. You have that free will, that gift given to you. But the great hound of heaven, he pursues us relentlessly. waiting for the moment when we may finally say, yes, Jesus, I love you. That is the moment that Jesus longs for, more than anything else. So whatever needs you have this morning, I don't know how you hear these words or what we can do as a congregation to help you. Tyler, you can come on up. We want to be able to stand by you if you need to put on the Lord in baptism and make him Lord of your life. We'll help you with that. If you just need the prayers of this church for encouragement of some kind, you can come forward and you can let me know while we stand and sing together.